0: Genesis and uh, I'm going to do a it'll be pretty brief this morning I'm going to do an exposition of the entire Bible and uh, um. all right, well, okay maybe not let's start in Genesis if you will chapter 1 thank you so much for choosing to be in the house of the Lord this morning I'm glad you could be with us and uh, Genesis chapter 1 We're going to have two verses in Genesis, and then you want to keep your place there for a moment. And then we're also going to look in the book of Mark in just a moment. Genesis chapter 1, and the first verse I want you to look at in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. It's a summary of what happened. Of course, we have there in Genesis more explanation that Adam was formed from the dust of the earth. And then Eve, a little later, was made from Adam's rib and was, was uh, formed out of the actual body of Adam there. Look in Genesis chapter 5. Verse 1 This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. He said, Why both of them there? That's because Eve was in Adam and she would be taken from his rib and made that way. And so it said, male and female made he them. Look in Mark, without losing place here in Genesis, look over in Mark chapter ten. Mark chapter ten. Look in verse six. makes a statement there. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And uh, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of distinction by design. Distinction by design. Um, God made them male and female. That's always been what there is. And uh, that's how God has designed things. The... uh, God has made a distinction, and there is supposed to be a distinction. You know, God is a God of distinction. He really, really likes things. We, we had what we have thought for years, and this, excuse us, or uh, this is just a lacking in our ornithological knowledge, that knowledge of birds, but we thought we had a red-headed woodpecker that was coming to our, our, uh, our uh, uh, whatever you call it, what do you do? Give them food. It's called a bird. bird feeder. There it is. The big thing's throwing me. A bird feeder. Uh, we we thought it was a red-headed woodpecker. It's actually a red-bellied woodpecker. Uh, it has. They have a red here on top, and then kind of a bar, striated white and black wings, and that sort. of thing. a little bit smaller. We now have a true red-headed woodpecker coming. We looked that dude up. My goodness, what a magnificent bird! Uh, the white on it is just, uh, it's almost iridescent. It's so white. It has a huge section of white on it. And the complete head is red almost to a burgundy with that. And just, it's a larger bird too. And I'm like, oh, okay. Another one was not actually a true red headed woodpecker. This one is. And we we're looking at it. And I was looking out there at all the different things God made. And you can tell God likes distinction, He likes variety. He likes things to be distinct. Uh, he likes that. Um, we like that a lot of times too. Uh, we like a distinct taste of something. We like the distinct this or that. Some of you all like a good steak cooked, and you don't want anything put on. You say, "Hey, you want some, you know, a one sauce or something?" Like, no, it's a good steak. Leave it alone. You know, others of you, everything should taste like ketchup. You just cover it, and that's the way it is. But, <laughs> but that's uh, <laughs> so. What's it taste like? Ketchup. Um, but. God God likes distinction, and God has been very very uh, uh, jealously guarding of the fact He wants to be distinction between male and female. God does not like the blending of those two things at all. Uh, he does not like there to be a crossing of the lines in the least. He does not want women to be masculine in any manner. He does not want men to be feminine in ma- any manner. And there's to be clear lines, and there are clear lines. And whatever tries to push something that isn't a clear line is perversion, not truth. And so so god is a god of distinction now with that this morning god has distinctly made the female uh, for specific purposes and for specific have specific blessings and have specific power i put it out this way and i'll give you this in the message but he's he's given a distinct purpose for you ladies he's given a distinct privilege to you ladies he's given distinct power to you ladies and then I put these two together. He wants to deal with you distinctly as a person, and he has some distinct promises for you as a lady. Uh, I believe that God notices the broken heart of a widower. I believe that God notices how empty uh, the world can become for someone who has lost his mate. And, and we see that uh, men, uh, although the women almost seem as if they grieve harder at times, I think that's a little bit of a misjudgment, but it almost seems like at times, I think that the men, uh, men generally don't do as well. If you ever want to see when a man's lost a mate, especially a mate of many, many years, uh, that, they, uh, uh, that you find that it's not good for the man to be alone. And, and he's never quite the same with that. Uh, the ladies grieve and that sort of thing. But it is, isn't it amazing? In the Bible, God pays particular attention to the widow. It's not that he doesn't care for the widower. It's not that he doesn't feel the broken heart of that. But the widow gets special attention. The widow and the fatherless get the special attention in the Bible. Why? Because there are some distinct things, and God says, "I am very, very particular about this part of my creation," and I want you to know it. Um, it's amazing how society, by the ebbs and flows of its fads that come along, do a disservice to ladies um, by pressure that comes on you and by pressure for conformity for things that are outside the bounds of godliness and that are outside the bounds of what is right and what is purposeful for God. And those things wear on a lady. It's funny, if a lady just chooses to be modest in what she does in her attire and how she behaves herself in public, she will stand out. Fellas, doesn't much matter. Nobody much notices anything, but ladies, uh, other ladies will notice right away. There's, there's pressure put on. There's this sort of thing. Family members, and sometimes, sadly speaking, it's those who claim the name of Christ who are worst about this. Uh, well, why are you doing that? Why are you not doing that? Why are you doing that? As if it's their business why they're doing that. And then, uh, and yet those same people would take offense if you mentioned something and asked them about their, their situation. And so God wants a distinction, but in order to give a distinction, he also gives very distinct care for ladies. And uh, I, I just thought there were some neat things as I was going along. And I was actually studying this out, and then it occurred to me it was Mother's Day, and I thought, oh, that's pretty neat. It actually fits. That's awesome. Um, and you know how rare that is for me, for that sort of thing. But God, God made from some distinct things. Look in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1. I told you we'd come back to Genesis there. Of course, the word Genesis means beginnings. And in the book of Genesis, you have something, which is, this is not a biblical term, but it is a a good study term. It's called the law of first mention. I won't hold to it like I would if that was an inspired term. But oftentimes, what you find in the Bible when you find things first mentioned, it will teach you very important things that will guide you through understanding that particular thing. The rest of the times it shows up. And so, in Genesis uh, chapter one and verse eighteen, yeah, you uh, have the uh, you have the passage here. Hold on, that's not what I wanted. Uh, do, 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 look. I want twenty-eight probably. That's why I generally do if I do that. Yep. Um, look, look, if you will, let's start back actually, let's start back in verse 26. And God said, "...let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth." So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, created He Him, male and female, created He them, and God blessed them And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and everything that moveth upon the earth. Now notice what ends up happening here. You have have the statement that's made where God says he created man in his own image and then it says he created the male and female and then he specifically says there's something to be done. Look at the passage and see what's to be done. It says God wanted to bless them, wanted them to replace the earth, wanted them to subdue the earth, and have dominion over the earth, all the different creation. Having dominion over it is not the same as exploiting and damaging and destroying it. Having dominion is they have rightful authority and power over this. Now we know earlier when we read that Adam was given, and then at the beginning of chapter 2 it says also that Adam is put into the garden that God planted eastward of Eden to dress the garden and to keep it. In other words, he was supposed to take care of what God had. If you get the picture of this, God made the earth. And so God made creation. He made the earth. And God said, I'm going to make someone made in my image to be my caretaker that's on that earth to take care of the earth for me. So God said, I'm going to make one creation that's different than the rest of creation. We are not animals. We are not part of the animal kingdom. We are made in the image of God. And because of that, God said, I I will have this man who's made in my image to rule over everything else to take care of it. And he's supposed to take care of it in the manner in which God wants it taken care of. Very basic principle in the Bible. You go down chapter 2 and you start dealing in chapter 2 and you start dealing with the fact of the garden and, and all that goes on with that. You talk about the four rivers that are in the, in the garden and it goes down dealing with these things. And then I want you to, I want you to pick up and look down, if you will, uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man... I'm in chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it. You understand that term? He's supposed to take care of it and uh, fix it up, make sure it runs well and all that. To dress it and to keep it. Look at it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. So he had an abundant source of what he needed. And the Lord God, uh, uh, excuse me, in verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now look in verse 18. And Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be what? Alone. I will milk. I will milk. I will milk the cow and let him drink it. I try this again. My tongue is disobeying my brain completely today. I I will make him a help meet for him. We tend to run those two words together as one word. It's not two words. And we say help meet, but it's a help. Someone to help. With what? With the purpose that God had given. Yeah. And that helper is meet. M-E-E-T means appropriate, properly fitted, right for the position. Right. So I will make a help that is meet or proper for him. Man was made of the dirt. And uh, I tell you that, and I tried to tell our ladies, and they should know the truth of it. Basically, you have, you have a man in your life, you have a dirt cloud in your life. And uh, some men are more clean than others, and we ought to work at it. And my, my, uh, my wife, I, I, I didn't marry my wife for her to be my maid, and I'm glad she takes care of things well, and she does. But I don't, fig- I don't figure she should follow me around picking up everything while well, I live like a slob. And I uh, took care of some things and, uh, and, and tried to do that. And I had to pull my own weight. And since I have more weight than she does, I ought to pull harder. And um, so that's, that's the truth of that matter. Not many male amens on that one, but that's the truth right there. And, uh, and so the, uh, but the man inherently can be dirty. Uh, uh, there's a big difference to those who raise a household that has young ladies. And when the boy comes along, if a boy comes along, everything changes. Why? Because he does very weird and strange things. Is this true? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Completely. I, wonder, uh, I can't quite gauge what that chuckle half laugh is there. The, uh, uh, all the things you deal with, are, all of a sudden all the rules have changed. Why? Because a little dirt cloud has come along. And uh, that's the way they do. But man was made out of the dirt. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Woman is a different form of creation. She was made from man. And uh, she was actually made from the rib of man. And because of that, she was made specifically, purposely, for an intent. And that intent is to be a help with that. Now, in the New Testament, we come that there are some who, uh, the Bible says they have the ability or the gift to remain single. And it says that they're not under any type of judgment at all, if they don't marry or not less in the Lord. But that's not for everybody. And uh, But it says, here's the thing about it. Even in that case, that lady is still geared... To be a help meet for someone. In other words, they, they're they supposed to help to bring things to fruition, to completion, if you will. Um, you say, what does she do? Give an example of what you're talking about, preacher. Well, look in chapter 1 and verse 26. Excuse me, I'm sorry. 2.26, I jumped you back there. No, you won't. I don't know where you're turning. Hold on, I've lost it. You know what's really bad? I didn't I didn't type that out and I still lost it. I had it done. The uh, don't try to guess, you'll miss it every time. I hear you out there. Um, hold, it. that's why hold music. There we go. You got the man, you got the woman. That's a good thing. You got the rivers, it's a place to fish, and uh, there it goes. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for. I, I just wrote, wrote the wrong digit in, and uh, apparently my fingers were doing what my brain's doing this morning. Look in verse uh, uh, verse 20, and Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air. To every beast of the field. You think Adam wasn't a smart fellow. He put in the whole uh, whole taxonomical uh, identification there. Um, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. And that's a good thing. He was looking at all those. None of those were the right thing. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Literally, it's your first surgery going on here. The great physician performed the first surgery. And uh, didn't have any problem with it at all. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now, watch, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, and this is what I had written the wrong digit down for to show you. Therefore shall a man leave his what? Father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh now what is this you're talking about here preacher well part of the way she's a help meet is she helps him to mature and to have responsibility did anybody notice that there's something wonderful happens to car insurance once you get married it goes down say so why does it go down because you have become less of a liability to society in general generally speaking that's everybody's show. And uh, as much as fellas want to give ladies a hard time about driving, there is a reason why uh, young teenage boys are harder to insure than young teenage girls. And why? That's just because of of chauvinism among the insurance companies. Everybody knows the men are better drivers. But, But part of the way in which she helps him is in the help, now watch this, to come to full maturity. Now, I don't mean by that he's a little baby and doesn't know what he's doing until he meets a woman. If that's the case, then do yourself a favor. You meet one like that, leave him where you found him. Because um, you can have a permanent babysitting job. But he is incomplete. And there are areas that need developed. And here's the thing about it. If we understand that thing of being a help, the thing of being a help is not that you set the agenda and you decide what's going on and you dig in your heels if your agenda isn't pushed. Or you say you're going along, but if it's not what you want, then you, you're going to let Him know every time you turn around, uh-huh, you should have done it this way, I uh-huh, should have done it that way. That's not helping. That's hindering. And it's not God's design. It's a help meet for Him. God specifically had Adam where He was uh, had oversight of that garden and He was supposed to take care of the things with it. And guess what? Uh, he was able to do that a whole lot more efficiently and a whole lot better once Eve... Came along. And so she was supposed to be a help to him. You have a purpose. It's designed inside of you. It is not a sociological uh, norm that has been given to you because of the culture in which you've been raised. The reason why that shows up in all cultures in one form or another is because it's designed within the human being to be this way. It's that for which you are designed. By the way, it's why it's, why it's so very important that everyone, everyone needs to be a servant. We understand that Jesus said the servant is the greatest of all. But this thing of helping and being a help meet for someone. To look at a way in which you can be a help, in which you can, you can strengthen. You have a lot of influence. And that influence should be used to strengthen, to build, and to help others along the way and why because that's the design of things uh, young ladies as they're coming up should be taught that how to be a help not well you got your own rights uh, this is the statement i know when brother tim miss francis when they went to west virginia and started the church down there one of the collisions that miss francis had was the fact as a pastor's wife first of all the pastor's wife uh, is is not uh, not the co-pastor if things are run biblically with that and uh, though she may be a very capable lady, as Miss Francis was and as my wife is, there may be a capable lady who's a big benefit to the body of Christ that may be trusted for things. She's not the co-pastor or the assistant pastor or anything like that. And, uh, and so Miss Francis understood that. And so in the particular area where they went, and Brother uh, Bratton knows this and being from that area, whenever somebody in the church would come to her and say, what are we going to do about this or that? They'd come to, to Miss Francis, and she'd say, well, ask my husband. The women would get angry at her. They really had to struggle with that, Brother Robin McBean. I'll tell you why. Because they were used to calling the shots at home. That's no more no, no or more less complicated than that. Because at home, they said what went. And by the way, down in a lot of the church houses in that region, when they go to the church house, they say what goes to. And when they encountered the biblical thing where you had a loving relationship, uh, where uh, Brother Tim and Miss Francis care for each other, but yet the biblical roles are there distinctly, they didn't know what to do with that because there was so much ingrained in there about no man's ever going to tell me anything. Do you know that's just as wicked as thinking as if a man were to say, this little woman's going to do what I say. Those are both wicked thinking. Those those are ungodly thinking. That's not God's way. First of all, we're supposed to have charity and be respectful and kind to one another. And second of all, this thing of, this thing of a role makes a lot of difference. It's... Uh, you know, there's a little joke, and it's kind of funny, and it's in its way. But if the thing's carried out in reality, it creates a disaster. It's like the, the young bride who's very nervous about the wedding. You know how that is. The wedding's such a big deal, and, and sometimes with that. By the way, Nate, I didn't even get to say how do you when I saw you last time. You got away from me before I got to see you. So how do get to see you there? Handshake from a distance. Um, but the um, but the, uh, the the the. Girl was real nervous and you know, wanting everything to go just right. And every bride does, nothing wrong with that. That's a that's a big day. And they boy, they went she went everything just right. And she was so afraid she'd make a misstep. The pastor thought out of her nervousness she was going to cause a problem. And she said, he said, All you have to do, he says, all you have to do is show up in the right place, everything will be going. She says, You you come down the aisle, you get to the altar, and then you go to him. He said, That's all you gotta remember. He says, I'll help you through it. You come down the aisle. You get to the altar, you go to him. So, can you say that over and get that in your mind? And she said, I think I can get it. Let me see. Go to the aisle, and the altar, and him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. And so, <laughs> that thing progressed the wrong way. <laughs> and it may just be that too much of that spirit is actually what gets in, but there's a purpose. And God has a great purpose in it, wanting to work through your life. If you understand as a believer, God desires to work through your life in fullness. And in order for either you or I to have God work through our life in fullness, our life has to be where God wants it to be. God will not work through the fullness in our life if our life is one that's standing in disobedience to His clearly revealed Word. And so what's being taught in our societies? what's being accepted in churches. And I'm talking about Bible-believing, uh, fundamental churches uh, are uh, what's being accepted because of the culture around us is is breaking down line of distinction, line of purpose, and it is robbing God's people of the fullness that they can have by doing things God's, God's way. And so this is very, very important. So that talks about the purpose. Then I said there's a privilege that comes with it, and it's an incredible privilege that comes to the lady. Look in First Peter chapter 3. God made His ladies distinction by design. He made you distinct for a reason. So, well, there's been a lot of wrong done in the name of religion. There's been a lot of wrong done to all groups in the name of religion, but that should not in any way discourage or dissuade us from committing our life to biblical obedience. You know, biblically obedient people do not persecute other people you know biblically obedient people do not uh, seek to harm other people? you know that they seek to persuade with the truth? They seek to live right. They seek to have integrity. Biblically obedient people don't use religion as a way to steal from people or coerce people or intimidate people. Biblically obedient people are people who believe the Word of God and live their lives accordingly and pray for one another and stand for what's right and even when they have to stand against pressures brought on to them, they do so in a way that's the right spirit and the right way. May God give us grace to do that. First Peter chapter three, and let's look at this. First Peter chapter three, verse seven. Now listen, this is important. She has a privilege, fellas. This involves us in this privilege here. No, I'm not saying she's privileged to have a, one of us. Amen. Uh, but look at verse seven. Likewise. You husbands, dwell with them, the wife, according to what, church? You're supposed to know something, learn something. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. I've often wondered over that word, weaker vessel. I believe it. It's biblical. But I've seen ladies with so much strength in so many different areas, it's an amazing term. Um, but yeah, God knows what He's doing and puts it out there. I had a poem, if I thought to pull it out, I have it somewhere in my archives. If I could find them, my, my office isn't all completely back together since we redid the floor in there. But the, uh, I have a poem that I wrote for a, uh, a mother-daughter banquet we had years and years ago about that verse. And the little line in there, it says, Weaker in the way that crystal is weaker than clay. Uh, it is, in other words, there's a refinement to it. And the Bible, if you understand the Scripture's teaching on this, uh, Paul said one of the great lessons he learned that was that his strength was made perfect, God's strength was made perfect in weakness. And so uh, we're to give honor as unto the weaker vessel. That word honor is an amazing word. Now, we ought to pay attention to this. We ought to really pay attention to this. That's a powerful word. It's, uh, it has the idea of a, a reverential approach. It has the idea of... Uh, of respecting another person's position or or what they do in life, let me give you the company that word keeps look in John chapter four we're going to look at several passages turn to these please, and look at them John chapter four the Bible says that we are to give honor to the wife as a weaker vessel. what is that because there's a distinction with that. I was thinking as i've had this uh, message in my mind for good number of days now and I've been bringing it to fruition as I've added to it and studied on different things with it as often I'm doing with messages. At any given time, I have multiple, multiple messages that are in some form of development going along. And uh, as, I was, as I was looking at this, it came to mind, Andrew, I've had uh, two distinct occasions, which I remembered, two distinct occasions. One involves somebody who was in our church at that time and one involves somebody who doesn't attend our church and doesn't come here. But in years past... They, and it was funny, I was young enough in things I didn't see what was happening at first. Now I understand it. But men who came and asked me this question, and I don't think every man who'd say this has an ulterior motive, but you understand that moment. They came and they said, Do you think there's any way my wife can spend more time with your wife? And so, I said, what do you mean? Well, just I think she'd be helpful in some things. I don't think anybody, everybody would say that would be wrong. And by the way, um, and you can tell her I said this. I know she's in junior church, but the aged women are supposed to teach the younger. He said, you say, calling your wife old? No, but she is 55 years old. And, and our children are grown. And, and she's been a pastor's wife for a long time and in the ministry a long time. She, she might be able to help some young young'uns just getting started and young with her families might be able to teach a few things. And I know many of you would respect her advice on some things because of her knowledge of some health things and stuff like that, but she has a lot of things could be helpful to you with. She's not a counselor. We don't set her up as such in the church. I don't believe that's her strength and gifting, but just one-on-one, she can be a blessing to you. But the thing of it is, the, uh, uh, with, with that said, they said it was just different the way they were saying it. And the one who didn't attend our church said, "Think we get together and set up a time where they could be together? And I thought, what's? What's, what's up with that? Something different with that. And uh, I, I it just just didn't, didn't have a right taste to it. Both those over time, here's what I found out in those situations. Both of those men over time, I found out their idea of, of being a husband to their wife is the idea of this here. Put it right on the phone. What they were trying to do, they thought somehow or other, that them getting close to my wife, that that wife would learn... How to behave herself so they could be. And both of them were very, uh, very lacking in their attention towards their wife. They thought their wife should do whatever they say, but they themselves were inattentive towards what the wife needed. I mean, almost, she almost, used the word, but almost stupid about it. Like they didn't even want to see what the need was. But yet they were looking for some way for either a church or a preacher's wife or some sermon, and they would ask for sermons that they thought might bring her into line. That kind of thinking is a very bad thinking. And it produced results one might expect in such a situation. Why? Because that's not the way it is. We're to give honor to the wife. And by the way... <laughs> If you ever want your wife to get near a lady who if you think would make her not have an opinion or not able to think on her own, you probably don't want her real close to my wife because last time I checked, my wife whose maiden name was Imhoff, which is distinctly German, has no problem thinking on her own. Amen. That's all right about 98% of the time. And (laughs) the other part I just deal with because I'm man enough, amen. Uh, but But what happens is, the, and some of you, that's always, I always, there's always one or two person That's the only person they'll hear. Did you hear what he said? Yeah, he was having fun too, if you pay attention to it. But the, but the thing of it is, I want you to understand something. We're to, we're to give them honor as unto the weaker vessel. Oh, that might mean uh, how to deal with the daughter, also. Maybe if you want to raise them to be a lady, treat them as a lady. Maybe if you want to raise a boy to be a man, treat him as a man, including respect, the way you talk to him and what you do. Told men in our men's meeting uh, uh, last week. I told them, I said, uh, I said, figure out a real easy way to figure out how to treat your kids. I said, find out how you do not like being treated by a boss, and don't do that to your kids. Find out what ta- how you'd like to be treated by a boss that makes you respond well and want to do more, and treat them that way. And that does not include raises and stuff. Okay, any young people in here? All right, we're not upping your salary to be a kid. I, I, I don't believe in I don't believe in allowances any more than I believe in a welfare state, but. Look in John chapter 4. Look in John chapter 4. I'll allow you to eat food if you do your chores. Um, John chapter 4. Look down at verse 44. Talk about this word honor. Look at the company this word keeps. Verse 44. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. So that word honor is attached to a prophet. A prophet is supposed to have honor. But sometimes those he grew up around don't listen as well. Because they know Him with that. You know they did that with Jesus. Imagine that breath they did with Jesus. We know Him. His brothers and sisters here are here with us. And and, and so He gave that. So it has to do with that. So it's it's a strong word dealing with that. Look in Romans chapter 2. I'll give you a few passages here in Romans. Look in Romans chapter 2. Look at the company that the word honor keeps. Romans chapter 2. And look in verse 10. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so that's a good word. That's keeping some good company right there. Glory, honor, and peace. So the Bible says we're supposed to give honor unto the wife and to the weaker vessel. The the distinction means we're supposed to treat them with great respect and as the valuable uh, person that they are. Look in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 10. I'm just trying to give you an idea of this word honor. I'm trying to put it out in, in, in its full display here for you. Look in verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. And so honor means that you prefer one another. You, you want what's best for them. You put their needs above yours. You, you, put their, you put them ahead of yourself. Romans chapter 13. Some men aren't looking for a wife. They're looking for an indentured servant. Romans 13 verse 7. It says, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, Fear to accustom uh, fear to whom fear, honor, to whom honor. And so we're supposed to do these things, and it deals with these things of, of this of the, the influence. Look in First Timothy, I'm just going to give you a couple more. Um, I've got a number of them here, but look in First Timothy, if you will, please. And um, let's go to the first chapter of First Timothy. You're getting the word, the idea, the word honor here, and, and how important and far-reaching it is. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and look down in verse 17. Now, unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And so that's such a great truth. The Bible says. Amen. It's got an amen attached to it. Uh, you understand, I'm not saying that the woman's to be made something you worship in your life, but I, we are showing you that the word honor means that you're giving proper love, reverence, and care for the position that's due. And the, the wife is the husband. That term husband is the idea of one who takes care of something. If you have husbandry... That's what husbandry is is the taking care of something plant husbandry you take care of plants if you have uh, someone who is, has an orchard that sort of thing they they engage in husbandry they do what it is to make that fruitful best, uh, plant to be most effective and healthy animal husbandry you take care of, of that which you are are, are um, caring for and you have you have stewardship with and even so we are to have this in our heart towards our wives to take care of her as we ought. 1 Timothy 5, look in verse 17. It says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And very very important with that. Uh, that uh, and especially those who labor in the Word of God. And doctrine, and that goes on has a whole teaching there about that. But it says that's the way you're supposed to honor. And of course, as a church cares for, or does not care for the pastor, so that church will or will not be blessed. It's the primary, uh, primary duty of a church is to care for those who labor among them, especially among the word and doctrine. Hebrews chapter two, if you will, look please. Hebrews chapter two, look in verse nine. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. In other words, Jesus was made in the likeness of man at that point. Crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And so this thing, honor, is very important. What's the purpose? The purpose is a help. What's the privilege? The privilege is to be dealt with in honor. Honor. It's distinction by design. And, and by the way, a society who does not honor the ladies and does not care for them is a society that is severely broken. And a religion that teaches that women are to be subjugated, think Islam, and to be treated as mere, mere chattel is severely flawed and, and severely dangerous. Why? Because that is not the way Biblical belief has always elevated both man and woman everywhere it's went. I know there are some in the name of Christianity have done atrocities and have have done things to subjugate people. But they've only done it in the name of Christianity, not actually in real biblical belief. Because much of what's called Christianity has no bearing on real salvation and real biblical belief. But yet, obedience to it always brings forth good fruit. And so, then I said the p- power. And you say, what is this thing of power? The power of the lady is interesting in the distinction. It's the power of influence, not position. It's a power of influence, not position. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean that God has so designed it that there is a great power without there having to be a recognized position with it. Well, let me say to you ladies, and I hope you'll take this to heart. You have a great power for good or for evil. Just as a man does, even to a further extension, the ladies often do. It was interesting when I got thinking about it, and I didn't do a lengthy study where I would research all in. I was running on what my mind would bring up. And it was interesting, and in the Bible, you start thinking that way. It's kind of a blessing. You find more, uh, more examples of uh, influence for good for the ladies than you find for evil. And I was glad about that. I think about the influence of ladies for good. I think about Esther. And her time there, coming to the kingdom for such a time and that. And even though scared by the circumstances, doing what was right and going and pleading for her people and God used her for the saving of the people. And what a great thing that was. You have Esther. She influenced her good. You say, oh, she was a queen. She had a position. (laughs) That was such a lofty position. She hadn't even got to talk to the king for 30 days. I don't know if you noticed or not. That was not a hello, you have power, you can run the kingdom type position. This wasn't Queen Victoria reigning for over 50 years. This is over 60 years, actually. This is this was a this was, you know, this, this was not that type of thing. But she did use her access and her influence. Why? To do good. How about Ruth? What a great thing she did. And God in the lineage of Christ, this Moabite woman, the Gentile bride who came in and became the wife of Boaz and the grandmother of, of David. And, and what was she? She was she was used of God. Why? And it often has been referred back to and we see her great statement of uh, fidelity and faithfulness to her mother-in-law and to her, the God of her mother-in-law that became her God. And so Ruth is a good one. She used influence for that. Uh, what about Mary? say, which one in the Bible? There were several Marys. Amen. I was thinking here about uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's a great lady. I fear sometimes Baptist people in the reaction to the Catholic institution's misuse of Mary and making her someone to be worshiped and, and taking a lady who was greatly used in the Bible and making of her an idol. I think that sometimes the Baptist people pulled away and don't learn some great things from her that we can learn. She was, she was, a, she was a greatly used lady and there were some great things happened if you study her life. Her virtue and the different things, her thoughtfulness, and there's just some things about her. She was used, thank God for it. That was the vessel by which God chose to bring Christ into this world. How about Mary Magdalene? There's a woman... Seven devils she had had. The Bible said that. Nothing made up about it. Seven devils. Man, she, she, she was a mess when Jesus found her. But boy, she was faithful, wasn't she? Followed him and, and, and was used of him. Thank God for it. And had good influence. I think about Sapphira. You think Ananias and Sapphira. The wife, Sapphira. It's hard to think about the ministry of the Apostle Paul without thinking of those two. Boy, they supported him financially and helped him out. They, they helped... Uh, They helped uh, to help others to learn about the fullness. They took some uh, who had, uh, um, uh, let me see, what was his name? uh, uh, Who was the other? The great speaker, Eloquent. I am Apollos, I uh, uh, had received some help and further instruction from them uh, regarding the things of the Lord. And there were other people who only knew the baptism of John and Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, they used, opened their home up and they dealt with people and helped them learn how to follow the Lord. Sapphira, there she was, working alongside her husband. By the way, they were tent makers. Do you know they also had to leave Jerusalem? You study about them in the Bible, not a historical document, but in the Bible, you'll find out they had to leave Jerusalem because of the persecution against, against believers and those sort of things going on. And when the Jews were persecuted, they, they suffered under that. Why? Because they were tent makers and they used their business, they used what they did to glorify God. Sapphira with that. How about a lady named Tabitha? Remember her? Her name, what was her other name that we don't use as often? Dorcas, Amen. And she she had a name like Dorcas and kept a sweet spirit. I think that's something worth it by itself. But she, uh, Tabitha, and what did she do? She didn't do something that was big and flashy. She made garments for widows and people who needed them, and she was remembered because of that. Uh, how about uh, Clement, who uh, labored with Paul and was named at the end of the book of Romans, who were uh, co-workers with uh, Paul to get the gospel out? How about Lydia, the first convert? in the area that would have the Philippian churches and the churches of Macedonia. And what did she do? She was a business lady who got saved. and As soon as she got saved, she said, if you've judged me worthy, will you have church in my house? And of course, just a handful of people meeting and they needed a place to meet. So she opened her house up and said, come in, let's start here. These are all ladies who did not have positions. Lady, Lydia was not a pastor of a church. The lady not a pastor of a church, according to the Scripture. She was not someone who usurped authority, but she opened up her house. Sapphira didn't come in and say, I'm going to be this or that and try to run God's Word. But what she did, she had great influence and she influenced preachers who influenced generations. Why? Because she knew how to be a helper. And she also knew the privilege of the power that had been put upon her with that. For evil, of course, there's some names jump right to mind. What's the first name you think of evil woman in the Bible? Pardon? Jezebel. It's hard not to. Isn't it? Jezebel, uh, the, the daughter of Ethbel. She was a daughter of a king. And uh, she had a husband. What was his name? You know? Anybody over here know what Jezebel's husband's name was? Ahab. And Ahab was a wicked king. But I will promise you, the Bible says she stirred him up to do wickedly. She stirred him up to evil. That old boy was worse than he would have ever been without her. You take Jezebel away, Ahab wasn't quite as, as bad as, as he had been uh, if, 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 or wasn't as bad as she was when, when she was with him. Together they were bad is what I'm trying to tell you. And take Naboth. Naboth had a vineyard and, and uh, King Ahab wanted that vineyard and he went and tried to buy it. His first approach wasn't a bad approach. He went and tried to buy it, asked to pay a price for it. But Naboth couldn't sell that vineyard because of the, the laws of inheritance and stuff. As a Jewish man. And he told the king, he said, I can't do that. That'll mar my inheritance. And you remember old Ahab? He went back to the house and pouted. Literally turned his face to the wall and went and eat bread. Seriously. This guy's and he pulled, And he's there. And Jezebel comes in and asks him, said, what's going on? Why are, you, why are you doing that? And he said, well, oh, Naboth won't give me the vineyard. She said, I'll get the vineyard for you. You know what she did? She got, she got the king's reign. She sealed the letter. She sent out notice. Brought him up on false charges. That's nothing new. Brought him up on false charges and had him executed. And went back to Ahab and said, I got the garden for you, big boy. Man, oh Ahab was king, but Jezebel, man, she was wicked. Well, wow. she used her position. Privilege. By the way, he got down there to check out that that uh, vineyard there, he went in. Um, guess who was waiting right in the middle of that vineyard, waiting on in there? Anybody know? Who was there for? Him? It wasn't tax collector. Who was it? Wasn't. It was Elijah the prophet. And but uh, things got rough at that point. And he told him. He said. Uh, he said the dogs are going to lick the blood, your blood, out of the back of the chariot. And he says, and the dogs are going to eat your wife. So that when they see her in the field, they won't say this is Jezebel. Use your mind to think what that means a little bit. It means, oops, I stepped in Jezebel. The dogs are going to eat her. Guess what happened? The dogs ate her, and the dogs licked Ahab's blood. And that prophet, the prophet, wasn't real pleased with what happened down there. But you know what? Oh, Ahab, he was stirred up, wasn't he? Isn't that terrible? Woman, woman used her her power for evil. How about Delilah? Did I say that? And uh, she did, didn't she, with that? And then how about Herodias and her daughter? You say, who's Herodias? Well, Herodias was the one that John the Baptist told her. He told her, she, he said, uh, uh, he said that you, you're not allowed to marry the man you're marrying and you've left your husband and you, you can't marry that man. And he got thrown in jail over it because he had, he had went to the authority and said, you can't do this. And that woman, Herodias, she got so bad out of shape, she went in revenge on John the Baptist tell telling the truth. And you know what she did? She took her daughter, who she'd been taking down to dance classes so she could flaunt herself around in front of the uh, lustful eyes of people. And she took her and took her out there and said, "I want you to, I want you to dance in front of everybody." And she said, "When you do that, the king he'll watch you dance, and then he'll give us whatever we want." And sure enough, that's what happened. King watched that wicked thing going on, and then uh, said, "I'll give you whatever you want." And, and that daughter had been instructed by her mom, and that daughter went and said, "I want John the Baptist's head." And the charger said, "You cut the prophet's head off." Grieved the king, but he went down and did it. Cut his head off with that. Yeah, see the influence. That's the influence. Influence for good or for evil. God's given you a lot of influence. Who first partook of the fruit in the garden? Eve. Eve. You ever read what it actually says? And her husband being with her. She didn't have to go get him. You hear people say he ran and got him. Uh-uh. He was there. He wasn't doing his job. Amen? Amen. And, and I'm just telling you ladies, you got a lot of power. God's given it to you, distinction by design. And then let me say finally to you this morning, uh, this distinction is in the person and is in the promise with that. It's in the, in the person and the promise. Let me say uh, the distinction in the person and the promise that goes with it. Um, the, uh, uh, you are saved as an individual and God seeks a relationship with you that transcends all your other roles. Um, because of it being a help situation and because of God's design, it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that when Christ saved you, He saved you individually. When you called on the Lord, He saved you. He wants a relationship with you. And regardless of what condition all other relationships get in around you, there's no person on this earth and there's no circumstances that comes your way that can forbid you or keep you from having a relationship with your God. You may allow a situation to override your emotions to where it impairs you, but no one can keep you from having a relationship with your God. Why? Because you individually are valuable to God and you have been purchased by the same blood of Christ as anyone else. Um, Give you an idea of this. The only place the distinction does not stand up. Look over, if you will, to Galatians. The only place the distinction doesn't show up and there's a specific reason and it specifically says neither male nor female. It's the only place it shows this in the Bible. Look in verse 26. Chapter 3. Sorry, I didn't tell you that. Just pick any verse 26. They're all good. (laughs) Chapter 3, verse 26. It says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Some of you were benefited by being here when I preached on the doctrine of baptisms here recently. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Now you understand the context here. Someone gets saved, they're a saved person. Doesn't matter what their ethnic heritage is. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. Doesn't matter what their social standing is. They could have been a slave and then they get saved, they're a saved person. They may not change. They're standing. They may have gotten saved as a slave and they are still a slave as far as to man, but they are saved. If they have, uh, they're they're as saved as any free man is. There's neither male nor female. It's the only time that reference is made that way. What is it? There was not one blood of Christ shed for men and another blood of Christ shed for ladies. Men are not First class passengers in the kingdom of God and ladies take coach class. It took the same blood to save all of us. It took the same grace to redeem us. It took the same power of God to give us life. And it takes the same power of God to keep us. Why? For there's neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? That means that there's this person, and there's a promise, and there's a person that God individually gave Himself for you, and He died to save you as much as He did anyone else. It's amazing. God chose men out to be His apostles, and He established things for men to have leadership within the church positionally. But when you look at the church and much of the great work that was done in the early church and in the book of Acts, You'll see God's ladies with the Spirit of God upon them. You'll find that when the power of God was given and the power of the Holy Spirit was given, it was poured out on all flesh, upon the maids and upon the handmaids, upon the men and upon the women. Why? Because God deals with you distinctly as an individual. And there's a distinction of how He deals with us. It's true, and I thank God for it, that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... But even as Jesus looked with intensity on Nicodemus and said to him, ye must be born again, even so we are individually saved. Though there's a common salvation and a common faith Once and, and, and the common salvation and the common truth thank God for that, those are Bible terms but thank God that we are saved by distinction individually. And God individually wants to deal with you with that. Um, when you're following God. And when you know that you're a saved person, you have to understand that Christ deals with you distinctly. Distinct by design. God doesn't want it all blurred. You say, well, that's amazing. God did those things. Yeah, you know what's even more amazing? You ready for this? Jesus raises from the dead. The first person in all of the world to see the risen Christ. Somebody know who it was? Mary Magdalene. And she came. And he talked to her. And uh, when he called her by name, she recognized him. And then she ran back and told the fellas, and they couldn't quite figure out what happened. <laughs> but she got to see him first. It's amazing, isn't it? It seems to me that God's distinctions are mighty, mighty important. Let's pray together, all right? Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for distinction that you've given. Lord, I pray that your ladies will have great courage in serving you. I pray they'll have great courage in seeking Your face, that they'll have great comfort in knowing that You know them and You are there with them as they need You. And I pray You'll bless. Thank You for Your love and thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for our ladies that serve You. God, I pray that You'll show if anyone's among us this morning that doesn't know You as their Savior, Lord, I pray that they would not be satisfied with that. Would You send them conviction? May they understand their need. Lord, I pray that they would uh, just... Nudge somebody near him and say, I need to know about this. And Lord, may they not leave here without knowing you. Ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please, if you would. Why don't you come on the first note of invitation? Why don't you come this morning?